Hello, and welcome to Tammy Ginders. This is the programme where we consider the wild and wonderful of the Isle of Man. We've even investigated the things that go bump in the night. We have. I don't know whether we actually got to the answer of that one. But you know what? If there's something that we think might be worth a little bit of exploration, we'll be there like a shot. It is pretty much anything and everything on Tammy Ginders. And of course, if you've got any ideas or thoughts or something you might like, I don't know, investigating or thinking, uh, what about X, Y or Z? Let us know. Uh, Howard Kane at manxradio.com or Beth Espy at manxradio.com. And very often these things can come out of conversations you have with people. For example, I was talking to Sheila Gorn, who's in charge of the Isle of Man Farmers Markets, the one that's held at uh, St. John's every Thursday from 11 till 3, just mm-hmm. in St. John's Church Hall there. And we were just chatting generally about Christmas because Christmas is coming, like it or not. And it is going to be... Is the goose getting fat? Well, it might be. Um, It is going to be very different this year, though, because we're not necessarily going to be able to rely on getting things from the UK and further afield with regards to Christmas presents. This is why we're having that chat. And um, Sheila, I think it's fair to say, is not very keen on the idea of Christmas being so close and people thinking about it so much at the moment. And uh, she was like, oh, and I've got to pick all those Brussels sprouts. And then we got chatting about the number of varieties of Brussels sprouts. Now, I don't know about you, H, but I just thought a Brussels sprout was a Brussels sprout. It appears not. There are hundreds of varieties. Some are sweeter, some are, you know, it's a bit like the the blackberry conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where you can go to different parts of the island and the blackberries will taste different. Maybe it's the same with Brussels sprouts. Well, it is. It's it's the same with any vegetable, realistically, in that, of course, by and large, we are very used to, or up until recent years, people were happy to go into their supermarkets and Let's face it, people still do into your supermarket of choice to get their veg. That has been, without a doubt, a drive over the last few years of this fascination with provenance. And also, of course, I think particularly in in recent years, this keenness, almost an exact opposite of a few years ago. A few years ago, it was a case of if something's exotic and has come from 8,000 miles away, isn't that great? Now it's almost a case of how close can your vegetable come from you know from where you live and you know to go somewhere like Bry Rad up north and uh, plenty of other producers on the island literally producing the veg we eat on the island perhaps a matter of miles away from where you live and uh, Bry Rad in particular I'm thinking of because he again does sort of heritage varieties and if you go there to his wonderful place in Ramsey you'll find orange cauliflowers you will find celeriac you will find pak choy you will find these vegetables that aren't necessarily in the modern mainstream and of course sprouts but there are things and for example last year I grew, as I have done once or twice before, red sprouts. Well, yeah. Sheila was telling me about red sprouts. I'd mm. never seen them. I mean, they, do they just look like tiny baby cabbages? They look like exactly that. They are <laughs> they are red sprouts. They, I mean, they are the plant looks the same. The sprouts grow in the same way, except they are a beautiful, deep red colour. Uh, and the taste is similar, I would say. It's not as distinctive. I mean, a red cabbage does taste quite different, I think, to a green cabbage. The red sprout... Perhaps a little bit more, but it does. It keeps its retains its colour to a degree, so it does look a bit different on the plate, which is nice. Well, I was very surprised at how many different varieties there were, and uh, I mean, even just doing a quick Google search brings up the fifteen best varieties that you could grow in your garden. And Pea I found Gint. out that used to be the one for me. What was that? The, well, the sprout of choice for me, bearing yeah. in mind, yes, I've sort of grown vegetables off and on for years, and there was a wonderful variety which I grew for years called Pea Gint. 
okay. uh, which was an F1, a hybrid. Uh, but for some reason, and I can't off the top of my head remember it, it was withdrawn from uh, domestic use a while back. So I found it great. It cropped really well. It was quite short, so it didn't, because some sprout plants get very tall. And of course, a windy place like Cronkavody or the Isle of Man in general, they then get, in the winter, get blown over and you know they can they can die if their roots come out of the soil etc. A nice short stocky plant stands the wind better. Who knew you could have such a conversation about sprouts? Incidentally, the Brussels sprout has long been popular in Brussels, Brussels. Yep. Uh, which it, where it is suggested that it got its name from. And that's another one of those things. You see, this is this is my life generally. Really, this is a snapshot into my brain because. Um, very often I have these little revelations. So I will have said the name Brussels sprouts for years and years and years and not actually thought about where it actually came from, the etymology of it, if you will. So, uh, yeah, Brussels sprouts from Brussels. Who knew? Well, exactly. Although I think, again, people say it should be British sprouts, some people say as well. I think I, I remember looking that up myself at one stage and I can't remember now. But there is actually all sorts of fascinating. We could do a whole history of vegetables one on that. The thing like the carrot again, which is better known now that you know, the original carrot was indeed about purplish colour. And the orange was only bred in specifically for, I think it was the Dutch royal family because they had orange as their colour. So the lovely orange carrot we know now, and now you get heritage purple carrots, but the purple was actually the original colour. There you go. Mm. Honestly, this conversation will go on, I'm sure. You are listening, in case you'd forgotten, uh, to Tamagindis here on Manx Radio with Beth and H. Something we do on a weekly basis is a little challenge. Um, and this is this is H's domain, really. He's got a very scientific brain. He loves the experimenting. <laughs> I, wish. I wish. Normally, we would pre-record this, but we are going to really push the boat out here. And I think, if I'm right, we're setting a challenge up today and we'll probably look at it again for yeah. next week's programme. I mean, don't get too excited. It's it's one of these ones, a simple one again. I was just sort of cruising around looking for ideas and I thought, gosh, we haven't tried this for a while. But it actually came from an American site and so I don't know whether it will work on pennies or not. So the concept is this idea that, and I've seen it before, things like, for example, and I remember doing this as a kid with an old penny, that if you had an old penny, the big round one, yeah. it, it'll work on, I think, a new penny as well, but a tarnished coin. And you then basically rubbed it with tomato ketchup. It would clean it. Right. Which it does. And you think, goodness me, you know. What, tomato- straight away? Pretty much, yeah. Tomato ketchup, it, everyone smothers their chips in and such like, if you like that sort oh of thing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but actually, it is an effective cleaner of metal. Um, and that is, I think it's the citric acid or, um, yeah, it will be the citric acid, I think, within within tomato ketchup, which actually works on it. And so, yes, if you get a dull coin and you smear it and sort of rub it round and, you know, clean it as if you were using it with duraglit or something, it will actually take a lot of the tarnish off. Uh, and I was looking at this uh, site talking about that and saying, it was like it's American, so they're using cents rather than pennies, saying that, in essence, lemon juice will dissolve a one-cent oh. coin. Right, so that's what we're going to try and do, is it? Because a more modern one, because sort of, it's got an outer coating and a zinc middle. Now, at the top of my head, I don't know. I, I might have a cent kicking around at home, but I do have some pennies. Okay. So I thought, at the very least, it might be worth a try to see... Spend what a penny. Yeah. Spend a penny, uh-huh. thank you. If we soak a, uh, a penny... In some lemon juice, you might again. It's not going to happen in seconds, or it's not going to suddenly, you know, fume and let's fill. hope not. Exactly, <laughs> no, no danger there. I think if you do hydrochloric acid or something, that might work, but it's a bit Probably dangerous. You don't clear. get that citric acid. Basically, we're talking right. a lemon. Correct. Okay. So we just get a lemon and put a lemon into. Um, what are you doing with that lemon now? He's rolling it along the desk with his hands. What, you, are you going to prize it open that way? Are you willing it open? What's happening here? Because you do this if you just roll it. Don't you ever watch? Princess Nigella, or I can't remember who oh, started no. this. It might have been. No. Anyway, you roll that good citrus fruit first before you cut it, and then you get more juice out of it. Okay, right. Okay, right. right so he's rolled right. it. Now he's got a cup. 
Right, we have a cup. Is there Wimbledon cup? And now he's reaching over. Got a over. couple of pennies. Two pennies. Can you see the date on those? Um, oh you gosh. might not. I don't know. Uh, I'll cut my lemon while you're doing that. 1974 is oh, one of them. Right, that's an oldie one, yeah. And that one hasn't got a date on it, as far as I can see. So yeah, 1974, that one. All right. Let's see, there might be oh my, some nothing might happen to these. They're sort of fairly solid. Right. So he's got his cup. He's got some lemon, which is full of juice since he's rolled it on the table and is now yeah. just squeezing it's said a top segment. Tip that, you know, you is should, it? Yeah. I'll try it next time you're yeah. doing something. You want more juice? You roll your. Yeah, you have to push down a bit and sort of crush the the uh, like cells inside. That's a really nice noise you're making there. <laughs> Can you hear that? How's that? Painting those audio pictures again. Um, right, okay, so he's done that. Oh, how many how many segments are we putting in there? Just going to put... That's well, good juicy lemon, so I reckon it. just two, two of these. Two segments. And then I'll pass them up to you and drop the coins in. Okay. This is fascinating. I mean, unfortunately, I we'll might... have to wait on the edge of your seat until Well, we'll see. We'll take a look at the end. Program. I don't think anything will happen, but uh, okay. see, might even clean them up. I don't know. I don't know. All I right. haven't done this before for ages, for a long time. So let's see. Here we go. All right, ready? Right, right enough okay, juice enough there. juice there. All right, so I've got the cup. I'm going to drop in one penny and drop in the other. I was just listening for a fizzing sound. Yeah, but oh, they're, both under, they're both under they're the both surface, under. Okay. Yep. okay. Can you separate them out or are they together? Oh, what, you want me to stick my finger in there now? Yeah, we can oh, do, for goodness yeah. sake. Well, we'll have to make it's sure you so fuzzy. It. It's good for your skin. Right. There we go. You can suck your finger afterwards. <coughs> right. Right. We well, we will keep We're you updated. We'll have a look at it at the end of the show. It might, because like, it might, well, besides being what it is, it might not work. It might, I don't know whether with the pennies and the more modern British pennies, they might be solid. I don't know if they've got a zinc core or not. We should have taken a photograph of the pennies beforehand, but never mind. There you go. Use my phone. You can take a picture. Well, no, but I can't see them now because they're oh, in the bottom right. of the cup. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll have another out. piece, and then you can take him out, uh, take a photo, and whack him back in again. All right. This is Tammy Gindis on Manx Radio, and we're going to head to the pub now. Who Ooh. doesn't want to do that on a Thursday evening, huh? Um, this is because can the Woodburn no, stop. Oh. The Woodburn Pub in Douglas celebrated its 125th birthday this year. Those celebrations should have been uh, in May because that's when the the official opening date was. But of course, we all know what was happening then. It was uh, right slap bang in the middle of lockdown. So they postponed things. They had a great celebration a few weeks ago where things like, you know, a glass of wine and a a pint of beer for 125. Absolutely brilliant. Um, But I got the chance. How long were you there? A couple of hours? Stop it. I got the chance for the first time, and I was really embarrassed about this, as you'll hear when I talk to Trevor Latus, the uh, the landlord. Um, I was really embarrassed. This was the first time I've ever been in the Woody. Oh, I know, and it was absolutely fantastic. Also, you're going to hear from uh, Mark Shimon, who spent lockdown looking into the history of the Woody. We'll find out why. But I first you were of all, going to say stuck in the Woody. For a moment. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad place to stay, <laughs> would it? Um, but first of all, let's hear from Trevor, who takes me on a tour round, starting at the very beginning. This is the entrance. The main, the main entrance hall to, uh, to the pub. And this is where the history starts, really, because you've got some original flooring down here. Absolutely. I will offer a free pint to anybody who can come in and spot the deliberate mistake. And there is a deliberate mistake within that floor, which all these artists that did these floors, they always put one mistake in. Are you going to give me any clues? No. Right, OK. Well, I'll every night for a I pint. I will, yeah. <laughs> OK, so tell me where we're going into here. We're going into the pill room, the games room, where we have pool teams... Darts teams, all our machines and jukeboxes are in here. A busy little bar, this room, for the youth, which is great for the pub. It's not an old person's pub. You know, we do get a lot of young people coming in as well. So. And I was saying to you, I was quite ashamed to say that I'd never actually been in the Woody before. Um, this is my first time. But what I love about it is you have got all these different spaces. So you kind of 
pick your space really I guess you've got regulars who come into each area yeah absolutely each room each room has its own little set of characters that come in on a if not a daily basis but a weekly basis and how does it feel being in your position knowing you've got 125 years of history in these walls very privileged very very privileged it's an honor to be to be in this position to be fair how long have you been here two and a half years it makes you want to get up for work every morning. That's what this place that's what this place does to you. Some stories I bet you could tell, not all for broadcast probably. Right, let's go ahead into this room. What have we got in here? So in here we've got our uh, we've got our lounge bar. Again, we've got pictures of Douglas history, the pub history. We've got probably one of the one of the finest views of any pub with our little turret, which seats uh, probably about six people, but we can get 12 in if they push up. I tell you what, that is the place to watch the world go by, isn't mm, it? It's a great people spotting place, really <laughs> is. So. And how much work have you done since you've been here that two and a half years? Somebody's actually put it down as a really good deep clean. Uh, we haven't done anything apart from bring us up with legislation for disabled facilities, uh, which we all have to do nowadays. Uh, but really, to touch anything structurally would, would, have, been, would have been wrong. And what the designers did was absolutely brilliant. We've had so many really good, good comments out of it. And the only negative thing is the dog on the chimney breast. Oh, so, what's wrong with him? Oh, there's a couple of customers really don't like it. <laughs> but that um, fireplace you've got there is stunning. Is that original? It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, as far as we know, it's original. And is there another room at the back? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't finished yet. This is our world-famous gentleman's bar. For legal reasons, we can't call it a gentleman's bar anymore, but it is to all and sundry the gents' bar. This is the middle bar. This is the bar. Do you know, this is the stuff of legends. Like I say, I've never actually been in here before myself, but everybody's heard of this, haven't they? Yeah, I think everybody on Isle of Man's heard of this. Uh, you look around, you look on the walls, you look at all the old caricatures on the walls, uh, the, the different things that have happened down the years in this pub, you know, from, from the loo handle that went missing for 50 years to... Oh, my gosh, it was returned. Uh, it was returned, yeah. That travelled, I think it travelled all the way to Australia, Mark, didn't it? It did, yeah. Uh, somebody felt guilty, so they brought it back. Well, Mark, you've been looking a little bit into the, the history of this place. I mean, you've got a family connection, first of all. Well, yes, my father was a, a local here for many years. In fact, he's on the, one of the oh, caricatures is, is oh. in here. And, you know, this was his, his bar. He used to, in the, in the old days, the pubs would be open till about 10 o'clock at night so he'd always just wander over at about nine o'clock for the last pint allegedly which i found out later was one, one or two more than the last pint but this was his um, this was his haunt and uh, i think that it's interesting part of the history if you if you come out and look at it here this wasn't original part of the pub because uh, this was open and i think this might have been put in about about 1958 uh, to be, create the bar, and there's a, there's, there's a story about one of the renowned old landladies called uh, Joyce Cottier, and the story is that she she put it in here because she got so sick of women coming in to take their men home from drinking that she created a, a bar that they could sit in and, and keep the women out, which is a horrible story. Never catch on today, uh, that. And no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not <laughs> not making any comment whatsoever, purely reporting the historical facts. <laughs> And you 
really got into this um, during lockdown. I know you've been looking at the Eye Museum, but Mark, there was a real um, contentious start to the Woody. Indeed. Well, you, you know, you think of the Woody now; it's it's an integral part of the community, um, and you know, and at the time. Uh, it was originally designed back in 1892 and from the start there was a big controversy the neighbors didn't want it to be developed that was originally developed uh, allegedly as a residential hotel but um, it was developed by a man called J.D. Rogers who I'll tell you a bit more about later Um, and it was opened in 1895 but the, there was a big story. Shall I tell you about the court case? Go on, tell uh, us. Tell us the court case. Well, they, the pub, uh, as I say, was built, uh, finished in about 1895 and cost about £6,000, including the land, to build. And they went to the licensing court to get a, a, a public licence. And the, court, the licensing court sat for two days, of which... Most of the time was uh, opposition led by the Reverend Rippon on behalf of the uh, the temperance movement on the island. And would that be quite unusual at that time? No, I think the temperance movement was very strong uh, and growing on the island and, and would resist uh, where they could the granting of new licences. But both the local, the, the, reg, the, sorry, the neighbours and the uh, temperance movement were both uh, strongly against it opening as a public bar. Um, but they had... Two, uh, two days, as I say, of, of sitting, most of it against the opposition. One of the accusations made by the Reverend Rippon was that um, Dumbbell's Bank had money behind Mr Rogers in, in the pub and the fact that there were three people associated with the bank also sitting on the licensing court and the licensing bench. He suggested that perhaps they should recuse themselves and they, uh, they thought about it for a while and thought, no, we won't bother. And they said, put... And anyway, they uh, they listened to all the evidence, and uh, Renison, who's the architect, William John Renison, and uh, Rogers gave evidence, and uh, they retired the court. The bench retired, and eight minutes later, they came back and gave them the license. <laughs> Two days of deliberations, eight, eight minutes to make their decision. Indeed. Kind of says it all, maybe. Um, the, the, the suggestion of some sort of dirty dealings went on for many years after that in Tinwald and uh, various places. So it was quite a controversy at the time, joking aside. But that's when it opened in 1895, so the official sort of start date would be 1st of May 1895, but with all the lockdown, there's an opportunity now to uh, celebrate the 125th anniversary this year. Oh, there's another room. Have we got another room to go to? So, Mark, there must be other stories. What else has stood out for you in your... uh... Well, as I said, it was developed by uh, Joseph Drake Rogers, who uh, went on to be more infamous as one of the uh, people who was involved in the Dumbbells Bank collapse, and in fact, involved to such an extent that he was uh, he received a, a sentence of 18 months hard labour for his part in the bank's collapse uh, so uh, an interesting character but he had lots of developments in and around the area he built a, a machine bakery just around the corner and had all sorts of business interests business interests <laughs> mm. so where are we now Trevor we'll just come downstairs now we're downstairs in the uh, in the woodpecker bar which again this is predominantly local people and they just they all have their own seats down here in the past this has raised so many thousands of pounds for charity just this one bar i mean you look on the wall there's certificates of appreciation from from all over the place and it's it's it is a remarkable bar you get people coming in here from canada australia new zealand for for when the races are on 
and we're not really a TT pub, but we we fulfil a gap for for people who really want to just come and chill out. And I think what's so lovely about it is it's still, while it's moved into the, the modern age, it still retains so much of its character. Absolutely. Absolutely. The only thing that's changing here is the height of the ceiling. When this was originally built, there was three three parts to this part now. And there was partitions and there was what was called a jug, a snug and a public bar, all in this space. So the jug is where they would sell to take home sort of thing. And uh, so it was all in here, but the bar used to run down this long wall as opposed to where it is. But as Trevor says, the ceilings were, were much higher. But it, for a long time, of course, with the smoking, particularly in here, it was really quite a, a strong smoker's pub, wasn't it? And uh, the ceilings would get nicotine-covered, so once a year one of the locals would uh, would be employed to clean the nicotine off the ceilings. And, and it would start on a Sunday night, and this bar would be emptied, and everybody would have to move around and grumble about the fact that they had to move into a different bar. And so each night he'd move into a different bar, move people on so that everybody had a week's grumbling while the ceilings were cleaned (laughs) because they had to be shifted out of their regular place. Well, there's a... uh... And you had never been in the Woody. No, I know I was a bit embarrassed, but I really liked it. I think because it's got so much of its original charm and character. Thanks so much to Trevor and uh, Mark for the guided tour around there. Really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully it won't be so long before I'm back there again. I'm just going to give you a quick coin update. Oh, go on. How's it going? Anything? Nothing? Still can't see them. We have taken a photograph, though, now, so we'll leave it till next week. We'll see what happens. happens. It might be one of these ones, a damp squib, and that I don't know whether British Penny will work or not. And if not, I could try it again if I can find a a cent. All right, I'll have a look Uh, for one too. Yeah, a pre sort of um, if you can get post 1982, I think they've got nickel in. Uh, Now then, I have one to throw out to the ether as well to see if we can get help from uh, them's out there. Palais de Danse. Do you know where that is? Yes. Right. Tell the listeners. Well, I'd rather you did. Okay. <laughs> so, Waterstones, it's pretty much where Waterstones Bookshop is now. Before that, when I was uh, a wee lad, well, I think at one stage it was also Sun Valley, the uh, amusement arcade or thereabouts, and before that it was Lipton's Supermarket, which I is the way Lipton's I first I thought Lipton's was made. where um, Safeways was. Not originally. It was okay. right uh, in the middle of uh, Strand oh, Street there. But it was originally, back in the 40s in the day, the Palais de Danse, one of the places to go. A lovely floor, a balcony around the outside where people could drink and watch the dancers, where my ma and pa met. Oh, how um, lovely is that? But I was that? talking to Morris Powell, he of great uh, Little Light music fame, and he was saying there isn't hardly a photo of the interior in its heyday. Oh, isn't that a shame? There's one gloomy one and nothing else, and Charles Gard apparently hasn't got one, and Morris reckons no one's seen one. So can you provide a photo of the interior of the Palais de Danse in the 1940s or thereabouts? I really hope so. That would be a lovely thing to if see. If you can, get in contact with us, Howard Kane at manxradio.com or... Beth Espy at manxradio.com. We'd and love to see and let people know. Yeah, that would be great, and we can uh, share it with everybody on our Facebook page. We'd look after them if you page. can do a photo, or we could scan it, or if you yeah. can email it in, fantastic. That would be wonderful. OK, we've reached the point of the programme where we take a delve in the Manx Radio archive. I've literally just picked a CD up at random here, so I can't tell you very much about it. I think it's going to be some news, maybe from about, what, is it 2001-ish? OK, let's try. I'll push the button. Push the button. 
failing schools to work with private companies, which would be charged with turning them around. Liberal Democrat education spokesman Phil Willis doubts it'll work. What we are concerned about is that the government seems to feel that there is a panacea just around the corner which the private sector will provide. And there is no evidence of that, either in terms of delivery of services or indeed of injections of cash. And the Shadow Education Secretary Theresa May believes the government should have other priorities. Sadly for parents and teachers in schools, what the white paper doesn't address is the real problem that schools face today, which is teacher shortages. That's the real problem. Teachers leaving the profession in droves. The government's white paper does nothing to address that issue. The National Association of Head Teachers says the white paper will promise more than it delivers if the government loses the recruitment and retention battle. Education Secretary Esther Morris is promising We could be listening to, to a bulletin right now. This was, what, nearly 20 years ago? It was, yeah. Same um, arguments. Some things never change, you know. They don't. Like Tammy Ginders, we don't change. Back same time, same place, next week.